This is your friendly neighborhood author, Jonathan, and you are listening to Season 4 of the Floor Rejects Podcast, The Wells House Phenomenon. listener, watcher. Uh, This is Jonathan here, your friendly neighborhood podcaster, writer, philanthropist, reader, writer, arithmetic, uh, tech genius, um, investor extraordinaire, here with another chapter of the Wells House Phenomenon for season four of the Floor Rejects podcast. Um, If you're just tuning in, you missed last week or every other week before this, uh, I read you a chapter every week of a story that I'm writing. This season is a kind of a spooky gay story. Um, and when I read it to you afterwards, we go over it. We talk about, and by we, I mean, I talk about things that I do and don't like about what I've written, how I'm writing, how I think I'm doing better, how I think I'm doing worse. Um, if you're watching, and if you're one of my six listeners, you're probably not watching, but if you are watching this video, the background might look a little different. Um, we're experimenting with some things. Um, behind me is a lovely Ikea plant stand with my most prized beautiful plants and a plant light. Um, and it's all off and I didn't realize how that would look until I started filming. Um, I also have moved away from my computer and I'll be reading to you from Uh, an iPad that is so old that it has a different kind of connector on it. Um, But I figure, let's let's change up the scenery. And I wanted you to see where I've been patching the holes in in my walls and see one of my routers attached to the wall with hot glue. Um, I'm doing really good. Uh, Chapter 12, what what we read last week, was kind of a culmination of every chapter previous, um, every single little um, aggro thing, little angry moment or or strange look from Lila and Thomas and then Edward um, all kind of makes sense in chapter 12 as we see them kind of transform or turn into their truer forms. And Warren at one point asks Edward as he's like torturing him, what are you? And spoiler alert, Edward says incubo, which is a Latin translation for the word that basically means incubus or succubus. Um, So we finally find out, or at least it's heavily hinted at, and as you and I discuss it, we figure out that um, they're incubuses and succubuses. Um, And last week I kind of discussed the the history, um, kind of a brief overview of what incubuses and succubuses are how they function, how they differ culture by culture. Every single one is different. Um, And every single recounting of incubuses and succubuses, which most historians kind of agree are probably more like sleep paralysis um, manifestations than actual demons, unless you believe in demons. Um, You know, some of them are, we'll say less problematic than others. in either case, I've chosen to take incubuses and succubuses and make them as unproblematic as possible in terms of like not assaulting people. Um, everything needs to be willing. 
Um, and we don't, in the story, we don't know that yet, but I will go ahead and tell you so you're not like freaked out. That's kind of the premise of this version of Incubuses and Succubuses is that they have to get what they need from their victims willingly. They can't assault them or force them into doing anything. It has to be willing or it just doesn't work, right? Um, so that's where we're at. We, we saw my hair eventually someday will be cute. Um, we saw Lila and Edward gang up on Thomas. He's, he's kind of MIA at the end of the chapter. Um, I mean, he's there, but he's like broken on the ground. Um, and we see Edward and Lila teaming up, obviously the more evil of the trio. And Thomas, it seems like at this point, is almost warning Warren in the beginning of the chapter and as we get into it. Um, so that's, that's pretty much what happened. I'm going to be reading to you from my iPad, uh, chapter 13 of the story. It's I know at first I was doing 5,000 word chapters every single week, and that was great um, in theory. Uh, but, you know, hour-long episodes are hard for me to do. And I think if it was two people going back and forth, two or more people talking, I, I think that I could go as long as I wanted, having a discussion, having a conversation. But this is one-sided, and it's just me. Um, and really the only types of podcasts I know of that are just one person are either news-related or, like, storytelling-based that don't have a whole lot of personality and discussion and, and one-sidedness. So I'm, I'm trying to shorten the chapters a little bit so we're not spending so long in the afterwards discussing it. So with that intro out of the way, let's get into chapter 13 of The Wells House Phenomenon. Chapter 13, Wake Up Call. Warren, Warren. The young Wells man could hear his name before he could see the person calling it. In the moment between sleep and consciousness, Warren was acutely aware that he was caught. He knew there was something wrong, but because he wasn't dreaming, he wasn't sure what had happened. As soon as his eyes opened and his pupils shrank, so did his worries. As Lila, Edward, and Thomas's grip on his reality took over, he smiles up at the face looking down at him. Edward, Warren mumbles, his mouth half frozen. Warren, shit, I thought you were... Careful, Edward exclaims as Warren tries to lean up. What's, what's going on? Warren asked, realizing he was staring up at a cloudy sky. There was... There was a tornado, Edward says, looking up and around them. Warren leans up again, more carefully this time, and is dumbstruck. He looks down the drive and spots the smoking remains of his Jeep, only recognizable by the rims sticking up from the pile of molten plastic. He can see that the grass is shredded all around it, and he turns, looking at the house behind them. No, he squeaks, seeing his, the bed of his grandfather's truck sticking out from the side of the house. Warren stands slowly, wobbling from a severe pain in his legs and walks towards the house, his heart sinking lower and lower with each step. As he draws close, he can see that the cab of the truck was now firmly planted in a storage closet, broken glass still tinkering down from shattered shelves. He looks down the hill from the house, out to the back acreage, and sees the front of the barn is smashed, parts of it scattered for hundreds of feet around the building. And Warren can see parts of his grandpa's trailer, stuck in the grass around the lawn. 
He's devastated. He could care less about the house, but seeing the truck and trailer mangled, it was like finding out his grandpa was dead all over again. Warren, come here, Edward says quietly, drawing up behind the smaller man, his large hands on Warren's slider-shaking shoulders. Warren turns to him, sobbing quietly into his chest. Warren doesn't notice that the truck had clearly been driven into the house. He didn't think it strange that the trailer had been ripped apart within a building that still stood even if its doors were gone. He didn't see the bits of black painted wood lodged into the grill of the truck, nor the semicircle prints stuck in its roof. As he composed himself, drying his eyes and wincing as he touched his sore face, he looked up to Edward. The man had cuts and scrapes across his face, blood running down his right cheek. Are you... are you okay? Thomas? Your mom? Warren asks, looking around, panic replacing his sorrow. Edward's face hardens. My mother is alive. I carried her in the house. Thomas? Uh, well, he was outside when it, it hit. I haven't seen him, Edward says solemnly. Warren can feel tears spring to his eyes again. Well, we have to go look for him. I, he has to be out there. I mean, what if he's hurt? Warren's voice rises and Edward's hand tightens on his shoulders. I've checked the whole property, everywhere from here to the gate and back to the far fences. He's nowhere. I've called the constable and filed a report. They seem to be pretty busy, though, Edward explains. How long was I out? Warren asks, rubbing his throbbing forehead. A few hours. Once I figured out you were okay, I had to start checking for my mother and Thomas. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't move you inside, but I just... Edward's voice cracks and Warren reaches up, pulling Edward's face down to his shoulder as the larger man starts to tremble. He doesn't cry, just shakes from stress and grief. Let's go inside. Yeah, take a minute, regroup. Warren suggests, taking the lead and pulls Edward toward the building, looking up and around as they walk through the door, making sure the building isn't going to collapse. The front door was broken, laying in the middle of the entrance hall amongst broken vases, water, and glass. There didn't seem to be any power in the house, and Warren takes Edward to the sitting room where he finds Lila laying down on a chaise lounge. She sits up as they walk in, a strange expression on her face. Warren! Edward? She says, her voice dropping on her son's name. Mother, I, uh, couldn't find Thomas. Warren just woke up and we're coming in to gather our thoughts, Edward explains, and Lila looks at them suspiciously. She too had a scrape across her forehead, as well as some swelling under her left eye. I, I, I need to clean myself up. Excuse me she mutters, standing and walking deeper into the house. Edward turns to Warren, his face screwing up in concern. Wow, I, I didn't realize how badly I, I missed your injuries. Lay back, let me, let me clean you up, Edward says, rushing off to the kitchen, loudly digging through cabinets and drawers as Warren laid back, exhaling completely for the first time since he came to. Edward came back with a wet cloth and a small first aid kit. He dabs at the stinging cuts and abrasions on Warren's face and neck, smiling reassuringly as he dresses the broken skin. He sits back after a few minutes. I'd tell you to have a look in your bathroom and get cleaned up, but... He points up at the unlit bulbs. Warren mashes his lips together in consternation. 
He leans Edward back and does the same for him without a word, cleaning up the man's bloody cheek and patching it together as best he could. We need to get back out there. Thomas could be hurt, Warren says, drawing back the curtains to look at the cloudy sky. His head was pounding. I will go out and look some more, but you, you should stay here. You were out for a while, Edward says, walking back towards the front entrance. No, we can cover twice as much ground. Come on, before it gets any darker, Warren says, rushing outside before Edward can try to stop him. I'll go left. You go right, Warren says, and Edward looks at him strangely, his eyes growing unexplainably darker before ducking around the front portico columns to start checking the right half of the property. Warren begins searching around the house in a grid pattern, calling out Thomas's name, gradually drawing farther from the house and closer to the tree line. In the distance, Edward's deep voice echoes as he searches, but he sounds almost annoyed. Warren ignores the barn, knowing he couldn't face the devastation of looking at the old trailer ripped apart and splayed open to the elements, and Edward told him Thomas had been outside when the storm hit. Warren ponders for a moment why he couldn't remember where he'd been when it hit. He didn't remember the morning at all, almost like he'd fallen asleep outside, but he ignores that and presses on, circling around back of the barn and calling out for Thomas again. He hears nothing but the buzz of small bugs and the rustling of trees in the distance. Then, as if to scare him out of his skin, a shutter on the back of the barn claps against the wall. Warren leaps away from the building as a memory hits him, or rather, the rough outline of a memory triggered by the sound. He can picture, just for a split second, Thomas looking up at him bloody and bruised on the dirt floor. Then, just as quickly as his mind conjures the memory and distresses him, it fades and he returns to calling out for Thomas. He hears nothing until he crosses the tree line at the back of the property. Then, the hum of cicadas and mosquito takes over as Warren's thoughts do. As he calls out for his missing friend, he begins to grow more worried, thinking that maybe Thomas was just not knocked out, but maybe something worse. He can begin to smell water as he wanders deeper into the woods, his voice now growing hoarse. He comes upon the swimming hole, the water dancing in little concentric circles as water bugs flitted across the surface. He focused on the water for a minute, listening for sounds of a man in distress or any sounds at all that didn't belong to the woods. He hears nothing, and when his voice cracks after calling out for what felt like hours and the sun setting, he turns, dejected, back in the direction of the house. As he walks through the broken door frame, he feels an electric sense of tension in the house. He knows that the night would be strange. Even as at odds as the brothers were, surely Edward would be upset when he returned. Lila, of course, would be concerned. Warren thought he began to head to his room, but with no electricity or light, the house was untraceable. Warren was stuck in the sitting room in the last few rays of light from the windows. Just as he starts to think he may have to spend one of his nights away from the house, he catches a hint of light from behind him and turns to see Lila standing with an antique candelabra in her hand, twelve taper candles sending plumes of smoke up to the ceiling. Let there be light, she says with a smile that Warren finds inappropriate given the circumstances. He looks at her with a measured amount of distaste, and her face drops, as if she remembered that her son was missing all of a sudden. I've called the authorities. They're overwhelmed, but they're going to search for him, she says vaguely, and even Warren's controlled brainwaves. He looks at her with a curious expression. They aren't even going to send anyone out here? Do you want me to head to town? I can try to grease some wheels. 
Warren asks, and she shakes her head. No way for you to get there, dear. Not yet, at least, she says, and Warren realizes that he needs to call his insurance, and he also needs to figure out if the home had insurance, but he would worry about that after he had a good night's rest. You're right. Once we get the power and I charge my phone and... He pats his pockets, realizing that he wasn't sure where his phone was. I'm sure hoping it's in my room, Warren says, and Lila snickers, turning towards the western wing of the house, leaving a couple of lit candles on the coffee table. I'll have dinner ready in a little while, she calls behind her, and Warren leans back, laying his head on a scratchy brocade pillow. His eyes shut before he realizes what's happening, and when he opens them, Edward is walking through the hole where the front door was. Warren stands, and when he realizes his brain is no longer on ice, he knows that Edward can't see him, further confirmed by the fact that Edward looks down at the couch where Warren knew his sleeping body was, a look of general disdain on his face. He turns on his heel, heading after his mother, and Warren sneaks out the door, out into the cooling air of dusk. With his wits about him, Warren heads back, intent on finding Thomas, knowing that the man, or whatever he was, wasn't swept off. He also knew now that there was no tornado. He heads back out to the barn, ready to retrace his steps, knowing that this was the only major area he hadn't checked. When he draws near it, he sees movement at the door, and he knows it's not Thomas. He runs in, past the carnage at the entrance, looking around desperately for a dark corner. He turns, smiling and covering his eyes, the smell of his grandfather's cologne drifting under his nose as he presses his hands hard against his face. Grandpa! I knew it was you, he says, and he hears the dead man chuckle. Warren, you lucked out, son. They could have killed you, he says, and Warren, as the words are coming out of his mouth, comes to a realization. No, Gramps, they couldn't. I haven't given them what they want, Warren says. Warren, you can't underestimate them. You have to be careful, his grandfather warns, and Warren sighs. How come they can't see me during the day? He asks his grandpa, and there isn't an answer at first, and then a breeze across the back of his neck. Warren doesn't move for a while, feeling the profound loneliness stuck here without even a car to escape during the day. Because they aren't looking for you, he says, and Warren can tell that his grandfather's gone now. Still with no answers, Warren turns and drops his hands, the building now almost pitch black. Well... Fat lot of luck that did, he mutters, but as he turns his head, he almost misses a thin line of light under the trailer. He squats, getting closer to the ground and creeping towards it. The light is not just a light, it's a crack in the floor. Warren leans towards it, realizing it wasn't a crack either, but a small hatch. He reaches for it, pulling at it, and he hears a slight moan. He slides on his belly farther under the trailer, sliding his hands under the hatch. What do you want? Leave me be, Warren hears Thomas yell. Warren laughs, getting closer and closer to the hatch, prying it open enough that he can peek down under it. All he can see in the dim lighting is a rickety old wooden staircase, and he slides farther towards it, his shoulders, chest, and waist sliding past the threshold and clattering down the stairs, half on his belly, half on his feet. He hits the dirt floor and looks around. It's bare dirt walled, dirt floor, no roof only a single bulb hanging from a ceiling made of the floor above. 
nothing but a few barrels in a corner and a chair in the middle of the room, which was currently occupied by a bound and almost naked Thomas. He was looking around wildly, his eyes wide with fear and pain, blood pulsing from a large cut on his chest and his left eye quickly turning red with blood. Who the fuck is there? Thomas shouts, his leg bouncing in anticipation. Warren looks around in confusion before remembering that he was invisible. Thomas? Warren says quietly. Thomas's head tilts confusedly. Thomas, can you hear me? Warren asks, a little louder, and Thomas squints at the spot where Warren stands. Thomas, Warren says again, walking close enough that he could reach out and touch Thomas. War Warren? Where are you? Thomas asks, his voice softer, kinder. I'm in front of you, Warren says. Thomas's face lightens. How? Thomas is genuinely confused, his legs still and his body leaning forward to the spot where he thought Warren was standing. I... I don't know. Can I help you? Warren asks. Thomas nods, his chin falling to his chest. Warren kneels in front of him, pulling gently at the knots around the man's ankles. Thomas laughs. This is a first, he says, as he sees the ropes around his legs spontaneously unravel and fall to the ground. Thomas sticks his legs out, flexing his muscles and toes, and Warren does his best not to ogle the hairy, muscular thighs now in his face. Then Warren goes to work on the ropes around Thomas's chest. He has a harder time with them, and Thomas actually giggles. That tickles, Warren, he says, and Warren laughs. Thomas smiles, blood dripping from the side of his mouth as the ropes around him give way. The man stands, stretching his arms out wide, not realizing as it phases right through Warren's chest. It's a warm feeling. I don't know what's happening, but thank you, Warren, Thomas says, looking around the room cluelessly. You're welcome, Thomas, Warren says loudly enough that Thomas smiles in response. Just as Warren reaches out to touch him, he feels the rumbling, the sign that he was waking, and he can feel his mind splitting, half awake, half asleep. Then the blackness seeps in through the walls, and Warren is opening his eyes, looking up at the ornate aluminum-paneled ceiling of the sitting room, and he has no idea that he had just stumbled upon the beginnings of a dangerous liaison. Alright, I'm back. Um, I'm thinking we stay in, in color, um, and I'll show you why if you're watching. Um, and that's because my... Ring light just died. Um, and I don't want you to have to see me the way that I look normally. So let's enjoy the gentle blue glow. Um, blue lives do not matter because they're not real, but I do look pretty good in blue lighting. So let's go with it. Let's talk about this chapter, lucky number 13. Um, this number was not lucky for me. Let me tell you why. Okay, quick story time. I have been on a... A mental health journey um, since the end of last year um, I've been on um, some medications for my brain um, and they tend to put me in kind of a fog uh, right after I take them not right after but I usually have about 45 minutes from the time I take them to the time that I like can't operate a car that I can't write a coherent sentence the first time around 
that I can't predict when a plane is going to fly overhead. Um, and I have to take them at night right before I'm going to bed. And unfortunately, that is also the only time that I have to write my chapters for the week. Um, what I'm discovering is I've, I don't want to have to say I have to pick one or the other, but I'm going to have to figure something else out. Because you might not notice, but there are some glaring issues with this chapter. Not, not so much idea-wise, but formatting-wise. Um, I only have to make like three cuts, luckily, because I'm pretty good at reading my own writing. But there are times where literally the things on the page don't make sense because I've had to take my pills so that I don't um, uh, go loco crazy. Uh, now I'm loco crazy. So I don't go loco crazy. Um, and then I have to write and kind of race the clock to try and get things done. Um, but let's let's ignore some of the formatting issues, some of the words that maybe don't make the most sense that I just kind of didn't do anything with and left in there so that you could see them. And let's talk about what I do like about this chapter. I hate when you're watching a TV show, you're reading a book, you're listening to a story, and there's a bunch of loose ends or holes in the story that are just so blatantly obvious that there's like there's no way that somebody didn't just say oh we'll just pretend that it didn't happen when the person was writing it or or creating it i've done my best to avoid those types of things um it's easier to do in a story based strictly in the reality that we're all kind of agreeing exists like in we just call it love in drabble um that was a reality that was not fantastic. It was not um, something that required the suspension of disbelief. They were based solely in reality. Um, this is a different story. This is a different story. This is a different case. Um, there's some stuff that like, here's something that I, I never really thought about until I was probably six or seven chapters in, was why doesn't Warren just like leave during the day more and then I realized I had to come up with a reason and you can kind of come up with the reasons during the story as you're writing it um but you don't want to get too far into a story and then start maybe not changing things but establishing rules that the reader needed to be made aware of earlier so I think we're okay there but like let's hold for have you all noticed while the plane's flying over I don't like I don't have a double chin I don't think but the way that I turn my beard I'm finding makes me look um, insane. like I just look insane I look between the way I look normally and then this haircut that I've given myself I I don't I don't know what I'm doing with my life but let's get back to it the plane is gone so with things like um, like why doesn't Warren just leave we had to make it make sense that he wouldn't just leave. And that is because his brain is during the day kind of just under the control of Lila, Edward, and Thomas. He has left in the past when he's been under their control, but he, you know, it's, he's never leaving because he's angry. Nothing bad really happens to him when he's awake. And if it does happen to him, like it did in chapter 12, it's immediately erased. So then when I was, after I wrote chapter 12, recorded the video and audio for it, posted it, I was like, oh shit, 
how am I going to explain to how am I, how is it going to make sense to Warren that his grandfather's truck is smashed and the Jeep burned to the ground and the barn is smashed, but for some reason he didn't do any of it. Also, Thomas is missing. And so then I realized that another part of the story that I had established earlier on, and this is just something I'm pointing out that I think I did pretty well, is I established the idea that not only could his reality around him be shifted, but he, if he was knocked out or Edward and Lila had done something to him to keep him unconscious, unconscious, they could just physically go around and do things to make it look like something terrible had happened. And then because he's none the wiser when he's awake, He's not looking for the inconsistencies that even the narrator points out, like the pieces of the barn and the grill of the truck, the hoof prints and the roof. Um, uh, there was something else. The fact that the trailer was torn apart from the inside, um, the inside of the barn, like that doesn't really make sense. So I'd like to point out that I think I'm doing pretty good at establishing the universe around the characters so that their actions and the things that happen to them and the things that happen around them make sense in the larger scheme. And that's something that I don't think I was quite as good at when I first started writing stuff. Like when I think back to my fan fiction days when I was writing Chris Cole for Dare and Chris fan fiction, um, you know, I wasn't there to, I was really there to write fan fiction. I wasn't there to establish a universe that was anything other than the exact same universe we were in with some slight alterations. In this one, I'm setting up rule after rule that kind of compounds on itself and then makes it easier for me 10 chapters down the road to say, and this happened. And then you're like, well, why did that, you know, say in 10 chapters, Warren is thrown from a building or from the the roof of the house and he wakes up and he's all his bones are broken and he's like what happened and all Edward has to say is oh you fell and any rational person would be like how does he believe that there's no way he believes that but because we've established that he has no control over his mind it makes total sense it sounds simple enough but you would be surprised the amount of stories that I've read in the past Cough, cough, the vampire diaries as a teenager, not recently, where there's just like glaring plot holes that I'm like, how did I don't like I don't understand how that happened or like cough, cough, twilight. There's 10,000 red flags in that story. And Bella's not like in this story, at least Warren is kind of like not under his own control. Bella fully has her own agency and just ignores all the red flags. Warren doesn't even see red flags because any red flags that do show up are just like erased from his mind. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying when I try to um, eliminate the need for um, suspending your disbelief other than if you don't believe in demons, believing that demons exist. Um, let's talk briefly about the, the demons. And I'm not gonna like give you a spoiler warning anymore they're incubuses and succubuses. Remember, incubus, contrary to my thought process, is not the female bodied demon. Incubus is the male demon. A succubus is the female demon. We're not going to do quote. You know what I mean. It's a traditional dichotomy. The incubus is the male. The succubus is the female. So 
let's talk about that because I kind of brushed over it in the intro, but a pretty explicitly trigger warning for sexual assault to skip forward like 30 seconds. You good? Okay. A lot of, of what we deal with in terms of incubuses and succubuses in traditional histories, whether it's Mesopotamian or um, Grecian or medieval, is sexual assault, is male demons specifically raping women in their sleep. That's not to say that that's what all history of of sexual demons or 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 <laughs> incubuses or succubuses are, because there are some cultures in which you willingly have to give yourself up to the demon for anything to happen. Otherwise, they just kind of terrorize you. Um, and that's something that I feel like we can kind of all just acknowledge as part of the history and then get rid of it because if you're living in like a secular world, demons aren't real. So we can just kind of like fuck with them however we want. And I do enjoy the idea of fucking with like a traditionally religious or um, faith-based idea, taking that and just doing whatever I want with it because it's not real to me. To me, if religion's your thing, it's your thing. I, I doubt in 2021 that someone listening to this podcast is like super into demons that I doubt that you're into that. If you are, that's cool. Um, I'm very much into the idea of ghosts. So everyone has their thing. Um, but we're just kind of picking and choosing with incubuses and succubuses. Much like in Twilight, we kind of just picked and choose, picked, picked and chose. Yeah, picked and chose what we liked about vampires and what we didn't like about vampires. And there was a lot not to like about vampires that we just kind of glossed over. Like in some stories, they can walk in the sun. In some stories, they catch fire if they're in the sun. And in some stories, they just glitter if they're in the sun. So you see what I'm saying here. We can just kind of take the parts of incubuses and succubuses that we want and make those part of our universe, the Wells House phenomenon, cinematic universe. Cinematic? That's movies. Literary universe. Um, so that's what, that's what we'll say is in this version of reality, incubuses and succubuses, number one, they exist. And number two, for them to get what they want, which is it's sperm. What they want is either sperm or to impregnate someone with a uterus. They have to do it willingly. They have to receive that willingly. They have to take what they want willingly. Um, in your more traditional folklore, a lot of times they're doing it to just reproduce, which is one, maybe one motivation of our incubus, our little incubus family. Um, but there's also, in some ways, it's just a morality tale in which you're giving into your desires. And like, that's kind of how a lot of people interpret it. And when you can see it, like in, in modern interpretations, it's more just like, don't masturbate. Don't have wet dreams as if you can control nocturnal emissions. That's not important. We're getting a little too comfortable here, I think. Um, but that's kind of, that's what I wanted to establish with our incubuses and our succubuses is they have to do it. Um, they have to get everything that they need by, by choice. They can't force anything. They can't do anything to anyone other than torture them in totally cool ways like beating them up or um like running them over with a car or whatever you know what i mean but they have to they have to willingly get what they need the other thing is that in some 
stories, if it's not a morality tale and it's not a direct replication thing that they're doing it for, they're also doing it, and it keeps falling out of my brain when I'm about to tell it to you. Um, uh, incubuses and succubuses, they show up to... to um, Is my brain okay? It might not be, because I... <laughs> Let me think for just a second. Incubuses and succubuses. They want to reproduce. They want they want cummies and pregnancy. It's a morality tale. Oh, okay, before I forget. Or it's a life force thing, right? So another idea, and it's a lot of times it's metaphorical or it's part of a morality tale is they're not specifically there to steal your sperm or to impregnate you, but they're there to steal your life force. So I'm not going to tell you what exactly it is they're there to steal. I think you can kind of understand where we're going with it. Um, I'm going to say it's probably going to be a mix or a blend of things because the reality that I've set up, although it hasn't explicitly been stated, it seems maybe it's just that sex is a... Um, a means to an end and therefore they're choosing which one of them appeals the most or can appeal the most to uh, Warren. We're not really sure yet what the true motivation is. I mean, I, I know what the true motivation is, but it's the getting there and it's the, the how they get that motivation that I haven't really worked out yet. Um, I've got a rough idea. The other thing is a um, couple things is number one, you kind of have to establish why it is that they why it is that they um, kind of immediately need a replacement there. We're going to deal with that. Don't worry. It's not like a plot hole that I'm just going to ignore. Um, hold for playing while we think of what's the other thing. There was another thing that I wanted to tell you guys. Hold for, hold for UPS. They have a lot of things to deliver, and it's all my stuff that they lost. Um, <laughs> oh, so there's a bunch of weird rules that I set up in the beginning, right? There was like six or seven rules and Warren has just kind of followed them because they're easy to follow. Like you can't have anyone there. You can't do this. You can't do that. The thing with incubuses and succubuses and not to like educate you on something you might already know about, but they can kind of shift and shape reality within the dreamscape because that's when they are their most powerful is when the subject of their attention is asleep. So when it comes to them, you kind of do have to maybe not have a baseline understanding of incubuses and succubuses, but you do have to kind of understand that that particular type of uh, demon or torture or whatever you want to call them, they are their most powerful at night. We established that before we knew what they were as a, as a group, as a whole, as a reader. We established that before we actually knew what they were, but because we didn't know from the get that they were incubuses or succubuses. I couldn't come out and say it because that ruins the surprise. So I had to set up this like reoccurring, he dreams every night, every night when he's dreaming, they come in, they have control. They just kind of do whatever they want. The last thing that I kind of wanted to touch on, because I don't want to focus on what I did poorly in this chapter, mostly because I, me brain no work. So I'm taking these pills and they're kind of screwing with me. I'm doing my best here. I don't want to like stop putting content out. Um, 
because I like to. I like stretching that muscle in my brain. Unfortunately, I'm attempting to stretch it when it's trying to uh, put itself to sleep. So the last thing. Oh no, it's already gone. I haven't even taken the pill yet. You see, they build up. I'm on the generic form of Seroquel, which is a treatment for BPD, which could be bipolar or it could be borderline personality. I have bipolar disorder. Um, I don't really know. I don't even know if I know which one. Uh, but it also can treat schizophrenia and like a whole host of other um, mental disorders. But I'm also on um, hydroxyzine, which is apparently just beats you up. Um, it's supposedly like an antihistamine and historically it was used as like a way to knock people out for surgery. Um, and sometimes it like, I'm supposed to take it every eight hours, which is wild to me. And I don't do it because I don't want to fall asleep at the wheel. <laughs> um, but it's still like, I'm kind of always a little bit in a fog and it's hard for me to hold on to one train of thought for too long without like drifting off into another um, thought process. But there was something else I wanted to tell you. I know this is rib. I know it's riveting. I know that this is the most entertaining podcast that you listen to. Um, and it was about Lila and Thomas. It's coming back to me. It's coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back. Lila, Thomas, Edward, they are wild. Um, oh, I remember the last thing I wanted to touch on is that we had two different ways that Warren is asleep. We have daytime sleeping and we have nighttime sleeping. Daytime sleeping, he's pretty much invisible. Nighttime sleeping, he's not invisible. It got a little muddy there at the end, mostly because I was writing it at midnight deep into my pills. But um, Warren's grandpa kind of briefly explains like, they can't see you because they're not looking for you. It's during the day because they're not expecting you to be uh, under their control or asleep. They assume you're just regular, regular asleep. They're unaware because no one else has ever put up much of a fight, we assume, and we learn later on in the story. No one's ever put up much of a fight, so they've never had a reason to suspect that when they're not actively controlling your dreams that you're not still in control of your dreams. Um, and so because they can't see him, he can kind of just do whatever he wants. And this this chapter was good at establishing that he can interact with them if he wants, but he can also just sneak around as long as he's quiet and do whatever he wants during the day while he's asleep and be aware of what's going on and maybe not escape, but figure out more ways to leave notes for himself, which will come into play later, mostly when he's not quite so oblivious. So that was kind of the last story thing I did want to touch on. I will say that at the end of the chapter, when his grandfather shows up, the dark figure that he is, I didn't do that particularly well. I will admit that I, it wasn't my best setup. I was tired. Okay. It's been a rough day. And again, this is the first draft. Um, but I, I, I still think I did okay. I think taking the more important bits which are the bits where his two worlds come crashing down um together i think it's important to take them a couple thousand words at a time and at a couple thousand words in a chapter at a time you know it's it's fast going but it's also slow going so next week is going to be a sexy week i can i can already tell you it's going to be a little sexier um it's also going to be 
more conflict what we're what we're used to i thought i toyed with the idea of thomas being dead thought about that ruled that out then i thought about like thomas not being dead but being um missing for most of the story didn't want to do that either so don't worry if you're like oh no thomas was tied up in the barn he's gonna just run away don't worry about that if if he could he would have by now it's not physically possible and we'll learn why and we'll learn how kind of later on and we're going to learn a lot more about the environment in the coming chapters as warren um presents more of a fight to his captors so as always i've been your friendly neighborhood author pill popper pill popping slut pill popping democrat remember have you ever seen that look up um she's a democrat meme or she's a democrat vintage poster where it's like she's a pill popping satan loving uh lesbian it's like a whole thing um you can't see but behind me i have a like a vintage pulp fiction <laughs> pulp fiction comic that says satan was a lesbian by fred haley adults only um and I really love that. Above me is, of course, Annabelle, and you can't see her. Um, and if you're listening to this, none of this matters to you. But I've been your friendly neighborhood, pill-popping, um, Satan-loving, condom-wearing, lesbian. That's also a part of that meme. Um, and I'll be back next week with Chapter 14 of the Wells House Phenomenon. Hopefully with a ring light that's not dead, and hopefully um, with a chapter that's even more coherent and maybe a hairstyle that doesn't make me look like handsome shrek Ooh. oh he scared it was my scalp if you're listening to this i just parted my hair and i thought i was going bald i might be going bald but it doesn't matter anyway i thank you for listening and i will be back next week goodbye goodbye goodbye